Welcome to The Last Conversation. Our guest today, our first guest ever, is Mr. Jason Broom. Mr. Broom was my high school history teacher and my debate teacher. He brought me and Chase to all of the debate events in our state. And he, with his love of learning, has instilled, I would say, great critical thinking skills and a deeper understanding of the world around them into many, many people. Mr. Broom is a very kind person. He has a very even level head about politics and his views on the world. I listen to him talk every day for many years, so I think you will enjoy it. I never get tired of talking to him or listening to him talk. He's always got some interesting perspective or some kind of viewpoint to counter your viewpoint. He's always trying to play devil's advocate, which I think is something that this world definitely needs. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, let us know after the fact, and I'll see you later. So, I mean, to kick it off, just to give us a, a hook topic, as we're recording a podcast now, and you listen to podcasts, you said, do you feel like this medium is eventually, our mediums like it, are probably going to eventually displace traditional 24-hour news uh, television and radio? Uh, it, I don't know if it would ever just shut it down and end it, but anytime soon. But it's going to be a big-time competitor. I mean, there's going to be a big fight there. I already know for myself, I, I get burned out and bored from the traditional media. Yeah, it's and, the same thing every time. And, I am too. I, and I there's such there's such an array on the internet. I mean, I can I, I can go out there and just I mean, just on YouTube, I mean, I'll pull from and I like to hear both sides. So I can go and just grab from all kinds of different perspectives, and uh, and I feel like I'm I don't know getting a better view of the news. I feel like with the the, the mainstream media, we're talking about like you know cable and nightly news fox see the big yeah yeah fox, yeah, CNN, yeah msnbc yeah i i just feel like they and it's on both sides they've got a narrative that they they're that they're pushing mm -hmm. and they're telling the story the way they through their worldview and and uh and so it's not so objective to me and after a while it does become kind of like so predictable. Mm -hmm. I mean, so like, okay, I know this event happened today. I know what CNN is going to say. I know what Fox is going to say. And I turn it on and they do it. So I'm like, why am I doing this? You know? So I found a lot more variety in this medium. That's me. I used to keep up with mainstream news feeds all the time. And I haven't watched any show on CNN or Fox in probably three years because you're not going to get anything. I'd rather just go and watch a clip of a debate on YouTube. Right. Than I had to go and listen to someone on Fox interpret exactly. the debate. You hit it right there for me. I mean, let me go watch a debate on the topic between two people who are capable. And then I feel like I've heard both sides represented. Mm -hmm. represented, and, uh, and I enjoy that a whole lot more. I mean, then hearing the same diatribe from... Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow, you know, and they're smart people, you know, but they are, I, I believe they are. I think they're intelligent people. Look at the pedigree. I don't think you go through those schools and get those degrees without being a smart person, but they're also working for the company they're working for. And that company has certain expectations and they believe in job security just like I do. And so they're, they're expected to sort of take a side and push a narrative. And sometimes maybe Tucker wants to push the envelope a little bit. He's actually a little more of a renegade than, say, a Sean Hannity. But I still can tell that he can only go so far that you get to pull it in. Where do you well, think that narrative comes from, though? 
I think it comes from a worldview. I mean, you got to write, you, you, you know, we, I think I'm, I'm, I'm maybe being somewhat overly generous, but when you get away from the extremes, the extreme, you know, the, uh, on the right, that would be sort of like the, uh, freedom caucus. I don't know if I, I, I don't know enough about that one to say. Okay. Um, well, I'm talking about your, your Ron Paul, Rand Paul. Yeah. I don't even necessarily see them as okay. Extreme, extreme left, you know, where you got the AOC to me with an mm-hmm. example of extreme left, um, extreme right. Like those guys that showed up in Charlottesville. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. and, and some people say the proud boys. I, I don't know enough about them, but I've heard them reference. But when you, when you, I'm talking about when you get to your regular everyday mainstream kind of, I think they both want to deal with stuff and help. But I think that one looks at the world through a right leaning lens and one looks at through a left leaning lens. And so Fox appeals to the right audience, CNN, MSNBC to the left audience. And that's what we get. I, I think, too, with like with like, say, Fox News, they know who their audience is. And so they're only going to report stories and facts and things that line up with what that audience wants. Yeah. Or or, or even if both sides are overall factual they choose the stories they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, some things you'll never hear even talked about on CNN, but you're on Fox, but you won't hear it talked about on Fox. It's on CNN. Mm-hmm. I mean, they sort of, that's even scary to me is that sometimes they don't tell certain stories. Uh, let's take the thing about the, uh, I heard y'all references. I think about Hunt, the Hunter Biden investigation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you wanted to learn everything negative, you can learn about that. You go to Fox <laughs> and watch that. Mm-hmm. But CNN and MSNBC are barely going to talk about that, you know. But I, but I don't. But I think it works that well on the other side too. I think that it tends to be that if it favors the left, then they're going to talk about the nasty scandal, and the right's going to either excuse it or not talk about it too much. I mean, the twenty-four hour news cycle feeds off of politics, and so it's go- that system is going to align itself to the system that it feeds from. So, I mean, let's just say it: Fox News is the the news media arm of the Republican Party. CNN. And NBC are the news media arms of the Democratic yeah. Party. So, well, I mean, they're on a tight leash. And, you, you don't have the option of breaking away. And what I shared with one of my uh, coworkers recently was, you know, I, I want to be careful not to be used by anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, especially during an election year, both sides are fear mongering and like, good night. If you don't vote the way we're telling you to, it's over. And they want to freak you out and they keep you on this on this perpetual freak out. To where you keep, I gotta, I gotta check this out tonight. I gotta see what's next. I gotta see what's next. And they keep you on this reel to where they have you pulled in, and it, it's to their financial interest that, mm-hmm. that they keep us sort of freaked out and watching. Yeah, you know, and and that that makes me very skeptical too. You know, I I love the news, but I love it because I want to learn about what's going on around me, not because I want to be freaked out every night. Well, see, that's why I'm so interested in 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 this the podcast medium working with Bren because I feel like something like this is going to be the only way in the end you're ever going to get a full picture. If you do like a Joe Rogan long form interview with a politician, you have time to really push it and get them to explain themselves. But on the news, they don't want to have to explain themselves and the news reporters don't want them to explain themselves. They want just the core of the narrative that, that drive by thing. Give me three major talking points that are really going to ramp up the base here I get the money from the base wanting to watch you paying me and you get the exposure, you get your talking points out and we all walk away unscathed with what we wanted. Do y'all know of any podcast or, or anything out there that features two hosts where one is an intelligent, articulate 
person of the left and one's an intelligent, articulate person of the right. I've heard of a few, but I don't, I don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. But I, I was going to say Joe Rogan interviewed Bernie Sanders for well over three hours yeah. straight. And yeah. when I listened to that, I realized that I disagreed with Bernie and agreed with him on things that I didn't know before. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, it really fleshed him out as a person. Shapiro had about an hour-long interview with Andrew Yang. Really? And he was the only Democrat that would take him up on the offer. So, I, so I, although I would never vote for Yang, I respected Yang. He yeah. sat down with Ben Shapiro. With Ben Shapiro, who yeah, was yeah, very you, feisty. You know where he's at. And he's yeah. a smart conservative that could easily make you look bad. I mean, because he's relentless. He's like a machine. <laughs> he doesn't want to, though, if you're... If you're level yeah, with them. Yeah. You know? He seems to be, I, I, the Daily Wire is one thing I go to now for the conservative perspective, even more so than Fox, because I just find that he, he's, he's got more time to flesh things out, but he's fair. I mean, he, what always lets me know I might be interested in hearing somebody's perspective in the media is if they'll call their own people out too. If you show me that yeah. you'll call your own people out sometimes, like he, like Shapiro has with Trump and the Republican, mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, I trust this one. Or if I saw that with a guy uh, or a girl on the left. A lady on the left, I'd be like, well, okay. If they'll call out their own party sometimes, I'll probably be more open-minded. That was, what is her name? She's from Louisiana. A black lady. She's been in Congress. She was in Congress for a long time. She was the one who blew the whistle on Hillary Clinton. She said she blew the whistle that the DNC was giving Clinton and her campaign staff the the questions. She's the one that works for Fox now, Donna Brazil. Donna Brazil. Uh-huh. And I, I kind of had a sense of, I don't know if she's still there now, but I yeah. had a sense of respect for her because this is Hillary Clinton. And yeah. that whole party has been trying to get her elected president. Here she goes, second shot. It's now or never. And to be the one who blew the whistle and blew the lid off mm-hmm. that, that was dangerous. Probably ended her political career forever. And I have a sense of respect for that because that was no small gesture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I have a I'm more apt to listen to someone that would criticize their own. Um. Well, I don't know if you're interviewing or I'm interviewing. We all just ask each other whatever we want to ask. Just along, yeah. but, but see that thing. That thing you just said leads me into something. We we okay. wanted we wanted to really go deep. We're just having a conversation, you. so it's not actually an interview. This is something yeah. I think we talked about in the first podcast, and it's something you referenced to me in high school about George Washington and his farewell address, warning against political parties. Mm-hmm. So here's a topic we can throw. Oh, around. this is gonna be good because I heard y'all talking about parties, and I, I didn't think I exactly agreed with you. That's what's gonna be fun. Well, that, if you don't that, agree. That's the question I want. That's what I said. I was <laughs> that, glad that, that's the question I want to throw out. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Everybody keeps talking about the two party model. We need to sustain the two party model. Yeah. yeah. It, I think political parties, even just as a concept, are poisonous. I, th- I think if you look back, you can derive whether it's the corruption of of the twenty four hour news cycle, the mainstream media, whether it's the way politi- politics functions now and the way politicians use the media to their advantage, I think you can run it all back to the formation of organized, formal, incorporated political parties. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know whether you guys agree with that. I don't think anything is is perfect on this earth because of my view of human nature. I think we're all prone to do bad things um, to some greater or lesser extent. And so I think I'd, I'd never said the two-party system is perfect. And I'm not even an advocate of saying it has to be a two-party system. I, I hate that the third parties get choked out. I wish, you know, like, you know, two of my political heroes, Ron and Rand Paul, especially Ron, I've heard them say, I'm only running as a Republican because it's the only way I can get in the debates. Mm-hmm. They're libertarians, okay? And, and myself being a libertarian, you know, I, I would love to see the libertar- Libertarian Party do better and have candidates that are more nationally known. But it's like you have to be a libertarian in the Republican Party mm-hmm. to make that happen. Or, or I... I I'll tell you my favorite Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard. My, to me, she's a, a left-leaning libertarian in the Democratic Party. But she, I, I can tell you from listening to Tulsi, she's not a big fan of her party elites. Well, that's one thing I love about her. She'll call out 
you know, the elites in her party, but she also won't leave the Democratic Party. Again, she knows that she needs that platform. So I get that it's imperfect, and I don't necessarily say it has to be a two-party system, but I also think that to say no parties at all is just not human. It's not how we're designed. We're, we're going to have parties. I would say, even though I respect George Washington, it's an area when I look back at him that I say it seems to be a little bit possibly, I hate to call Washington naive, so I'm probably missing something that I shouldn't be missing. Well, if, if not and, what, and what he was articulating, but it seems a little bit that way to me because they were just going to happen. Because if you've got a marriage, if you've got two people, you've got politics, mm-hmm. you've, and you're going to have disagreements and have to negotiate. Well, if you get a pile of people, eventually it's going to evolve where enough of them see enough issues differently than the other group that groups form, they get labeled with names, they're parties. You know? So I just think that they're sort of unavoidable but I mean, but as, we as, make far it as, better as, as far as this RNC, DNC thing, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it's okay if you want to have a political club and you want to have a group of people who yeah. tend to agree on policy. But the RNC and the DNC, they're they're not nonprofit political organizations. They're massive political power brokerage. I, I would say that the political parties are not, they're not clubs so much as they're different governments fighting each other. Uh-huh. Exactly. It's two separate governments. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there seems to have been something that went wrong where no one else gets a shot at the power. Well, they, except they two broker groups. political power. People with clout broker political power through the parties, and now they've got a stranglehold on the funding. So now it's not just if you want all the attention, you have to be a Republican or a Democrat. It's if you don't line up with the party line as a Republican or a Democrat, we mm-hmm. will strangle you out and make sure the, you don't get any money. The one shot you have at it, and this happened historically a few times uh, the Populist Party, we're going way back, 1880s, 1890s. Um, the Libertarian Party, I think, today, you can, and there's the Reform Party in there somewhere. You, you, you can, you can get enough attention that you can cause the major parties to swallow up your ideas. To say, if we're going to continue, if we're going to keep a split from happening, to where, say, the Republican Party, we, we've got to adopt some libertarian views, or if enough of them run the other way, we're going to lose to a Democrat every time. We have to. T- the Democratic Party, starting really, well, Theodore Roosevelt was Republican, but then later he ran third party. Um, but really getting to Woodrow Wilson and on forward, it gets more and more liberal. It takes on more and more the progressive populist ideas because it knew for survival's sake, you know, we, we've got to do something or else we'll split apart. So I think that you can't have a sort of indirect impact, but I get what you guys are saying. It's to win <laughs> outright, outright. You, you have to declare yourself a Republican or a Democrat. And I think it sounds like what you are saying is we're not so you're agreeing that political parties are just going to happen. It sounds like you're saying you don't like the way they're ran and the way they're set there up. There seems to be some kind of leverage that's missing yeah. to take a political party out of power. Like something that wasn't put in the yeah. Constitution should have been. Yeah. There's something missing because yeah. this shouldn't happen. Now, some people might say the accountability is the people. I mean, if you, you've got a lot of Republicans right now saying, we'll just, we'll run off with Donald Trump and have the Patriot Party. Now, if mm-hmm. enough people did that, it would force the Republican Party's hand to either die or, hey, well, what do y'all want? What can we put in the platform? Who do y'all want us to run? So you have leverage in that sense. But see, the part, I like what you said. The parties have poisoned themselves by being so aggressive against competitors. If you're a radical socialist like AOC or Bernie back in the 90s and early 2000s, your worst enemy is not Republicans. It's the Democrats. But by killing off so many satellite parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, like you said, they've had to soak those elements up. And now they're both in trouble because the Republicans aren't Republicans anymore. Are you a Mitch McConnell kind of 
center left, center right, I mean, let's not get too out of control with this Republican. Or are you a Freedom Caucus Republican? Or are you a John McCain who just uh, to blaze his? But press, but press him back because I know yeah, that's what y'all want. The fun part is if we if we have differences. And I'm not saying, necessarily saying I disagree with everything. Sometimes I'm just offering a different perspective to keep it interesting. Could could, could it be that the sensei. party parties have all, always been sort of a coalition thing to some extent? And so the party that's going to be most successful is the one that can keep their coalition together the best. You know, can we on the left, can we keep from AOC, the AOCs all the way over to the Joe Manchins as right. one unit? Right. Can we do that? And over the Republican side, can we keep Mitch McConnell happy, but also keep Donald Trump's people happy? You know, I mean, and, and but see, that's the that's my problem with political parties as a concept. It's, bring gears a little. Closer. It, it's OK. OK. I, it, just, it's, I, it's, I just can't hear you very well. Oh, I'm a bad. I'm bad. You may want to take it and tilt it up so you don't have to crane your neck so much. Like, yeah, there so, you go. OK. All right. It It's a forced hypocrisy. You and I have been we, we've been a circle of people who've debated and reasoned and come to a lot of conclusions. And still, if you put us down and told us to create a perfect set of laws for the United States, we would have arguments. So. When you say we're going to have a political party, and see, you'll like this. This is history. When you look back at political parties, they rarely do they ever form around a complete worldview. We all embrace this worldview and we're together. It's around a group of people who say, we agree on this one thing. Let's form a political party and achieve this one thing. Compromise. But then, then they mm-hmm. sustain. The Democratic Party was put together to elect Andrew Jackson. That is what it was meant to do. The Republican Party was founded to abolish slavery, and that almost immediately became to elect to elect Abraham Lincoln. So now, all after all these years, you have these systems that were built to do one thing and that one thing only. And now that that one thing's been achieved, or that it's no longer possible to achieve, the systems are still there. It's like putting a, a chemotherapy port in you, and once your chemotherapy is over, just leaving it there. Well, you could get an infection. Same thing. These political parties were built up to achieve short-term political goals, but they've somehow managed to keep existing, and they've got a deep rot in both cases. Mm-hmm. So what what do you propose to do with the Republican and Democratic parties and third parties? Well, I mean, You want a parliamentary-style situation? I, I would say universal independence, ban the formation of any kind of nonprofit that purports to manipulate politics. And, I mean, you obviously aren't going to go in in the light of the Constitution and tell people you can't freely associate based on your political views and your political goals. But as far as we're going to have a nonprofit and its whole function is going to be to earn money and, and influence politics. No. And my advice as an American to other Americans would be if you agree on a certain piece of policy and you want to join with others to express your support. Sure. But do not band together and say it's, it's us 5,000 people forever because it's not going to be. So in that world, how does Chase Fairchild run for president? As it was done before there were political parties. George Washington didn't belong. He's, I don't, the, he's the only one you can name. Well, no, not as far as formally organized political parties. I don't I don't Jeff, think Adams came from a party situation and Jefferson and they were see, see, two and you're three. cheating there. You can't throw in Federalist and anti Federalist because that's not that's not no, no, the, this was, the Federalist was the party of um Adams, but then the, the Democratic Republicans were the, the party of Jefferson. My people. I think <laughs> okay. if you put in place if you abolished the ability for the government to assemble itself into parties, you would just, it'd be kind of like um, making drugs illegal. Just suddenly every deal would be a, 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 a dirty deal. Instead of just having publicly available funding, all the funding would just be shady. But it's shady now. 
I mean, we don't we don't avoid any obviously we don't avoid any corruption by having the formally organized parties. Do you know who's who's given most of the money to the Democrats or the Republicans? They're not going to let you know. And as people on both sides of the aisle are fond of pointing out, it's ex- extremely rich people who drive the narrative of the party because they're the ones with all the money. Now, now that is a question I've had. It's a tough one for me. It's one I wrestle with about, you know, when candidates run, the amount of money that's raised. Because there's the part of me that says, hey, you're limiting my free speech if I can't give us so much money to, you know. But there's another part that says, is the race really run at an on an even playing field if – if four or five people can just dominate with their money, exactly the entire process. You're never going to see. The I, other I mean, it, it's entirely corrupt <laughs> yeah. now. Every, every, so, I, so I wrestle with that one myself. Well, I, if you didn't have political parties, you would actually shine a light on politics. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. I hate to use a cliche. That's a Fox cliche, mm. but. Okay, now there's no funding. No one can just throw you to the top. That means if you want to be president, you're going to have to do something so great in your lifetime before you want to run for political office that all or most of America will know who you are. Now, that's a true test of who's a great leader. And I'm not saying, yeah, what you're saying is is very, very interesting. I'll be honest. I have not thought about what America would be like today if we went to the politics in America of when George Washington was, you know, because when he didn't really run for office, they almost sort of said, Hey, you're we, the most logical we, candidate. We, we want you to be president. The Electoral College just unanimously said, "Oh, we're the Electoral College. We got to pick somebody." George Washington, he was unopposed. Well, so, I mean, they had already offered him to be yeah. coronated as king of America. So, yeah. <laughs> now, in a situation where there was no party to run through, to have no you know, apparatus like that, I don't know. One danger might be you just get the people who sort of self finance that just dominate. You talk about, have you thought about that? I mean, you know, uh, Elon Musk. I mean, he he's coming in. Uh, Bill Gates. I mean, if these if they were interested, you know, super super wealthy. Whereas another guy who may be like, man, the right guy, the right woman for the job, but they're never going to be compete with those people's money. Will it be sort of an oligarchy of just the wealthy elite running the country? Well, a I would say that's what it is right now. But I don't know if as but much. But b though. look at look at Bernie. Look at yeah. no no rich people except you know the Warren Buffett types and even him, not him. No one likes Bernie, but he's built a grassroots movement by actually taking the time to go across America and look some of the American people in the face. Ron and Rand Paul, though they weren't successful, they're now nationally known simply because they took the time to walk and knock on some doors and actually participate in being an American and seeing what was on the American people's minds. So I I don't I don't think much. Now they're all, they're all funded by somebody. But, but see, I think this goes back to the question about the media. The only reason it's the media that fuels that if you got money, you can have political clout that comes through the media. So and once you get rid of the party structures, I don't think you have a mainstream media anymore because there's nothing for them to feed off of. What are we going to do? Just squawk about the party line of the Republicans? There are no Republicans. Mm-hmm. The individual may feel a whole lot more heat because then all the heat is turned on that one running against instead of that one running and his party. So, but see, trial by may, fire. If you're yeah. going to let a man or a woman be the leader of the free yeah. world, you ought to be and, able to tolerate. And this that. particular topic, now I'll be honest, I am shooting from the hip. I've never thought about again what would presidential races be like today if you had no parties. I haven't thought about that one, so I'm kind of shooting from the hip about you know how would the wealthy have even more of a grip on it than they already do? Uh, would that eliminate people who were you know say say I mean whether you agree with Barack Obama or not, he he wasn't a very wealthy person really, but but compared to you know, 
a lot of people out there that could have been running, but he won. You know, um, if he had to compete and come in there with, against all the billionaires, he 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 may never he may have won. But I don't know. You may be right. It's just something I'm thinking about. Well, remember, he ran against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and yeah. You, there's never been anybody who was more cuddled up with a bunch of rich people who were willing to give money to influence yeah. politics. That's what I'm saying. He he may. I just don't know. I'd have to think about all the factors that go. Pro and con and way I'm out. I mean, admittedly, that system would score away a lot of the people who are currently in politics. But mm-hmm. I think I think we could all agree on both sides of the aisle. What America needs right now is for a lot of the establishment to be scored away by something. Mm-hmm. And if that party funding and, and media system collapsed, most of the names you know would be gone within a year. Yeah. Now, let me say this. And this is the. I, I love liberty, but I love order, too. So could you ever get to a point to where you create do you just do you do you to some extent need some institutions because if they break away and you just have anarchy is that going to be crazy I mean you know look at the French Revolution they started tearing the institutions down for the people and then you had craziness the you know how much instability would happen if we just take down all the major I mean I know they, they their greed and their the crime that bothers us but are they, are they necessary evils sometimes to keep stability? But see, I would say there, there were systems from the signing of the Constitution in place, and those systems have now been crushed by this new corrupt system. Well, the parties weren't even a thing in the Constitution. Well, I mean, like, mentioned. Yeah. well I mean, like you look at – we talked about this during the last podcast. Now, fill me in, Mr. History. Which, which, which amendment was it that transformed the uh, – pre- it amended Article One, I believe, that – um put president and vice president on the same oh, ticket. Oh, we're talking about the 12th. The yeah. 12th Amendment? Yeah. See, to me, and I've thought about this ever since junior or senior year of high school, that was a lethal mistake. Hmm. Because if if you think about it, that that that's probably a more egalitarian system than anything that's been proposed or exists now. I disagree, now. though. I mean, what kind of situation would you have with Trump as president and Hillary Clinton as vice president? Well, I don't think you that would, situation would have come about if that had been in place, because you would only you you would think as a Democrat, okay, we have to select someone who will work with this Republican. So you would kind of it would work itself out to where mm. situations like that wouldn't happen. And e- and even if not, even if there's fireworks, even if even if they just are at deadlock and they can't get anywhere, at the very least, I think a lot of this political instability is being fueled by a feeling on people of all political persuasions that they just don't have any power and there are a group of people in power that are keeping their views stomped down. And if Hillary Clinton was president of the Senate, vice president of the United States, and Donald Trump was president... You're kind of throwing everybody a bone, so nobody feels like they're disenfranchised. And nobody can say I'm without power. And what do you... I mean, you can't deny that that we seem to be stuck on a pendulum swing that gets worse and worse as time goes on. You know, Biden is the response to Trump. Trump was the response to Obama. And either one is more extreme than anything that's been in the last decade, last four decades. So y'all think it's headed toward this craziness? And I think it's going to get worse and worse as the right becomes more right and left becomes more left yeah. until it gets to the point where I honestly think it'll get to you the need point some enough people will die in uh-huh. the like in a, the political yeah. kind of turmoil. I mean, we just saw a bunch of people. Thousands and thousands of people storm um, the Capitol. The Capitol building, right, right. So it's like I stood on the street next to that Capitol building. I've seen that with my own eyes, <laughs> right, right. So to think that people would actually do that, um, it's that's just going to get worse. Yeah, yeah. 
I think it would also serve as a filter for legislation getting through if you if you had that old system back because if well the only time we've had it you had Adams as president. I'm trying to think when you had two different parties. I only think of one time in our history where it kind of worked out that way because Adams and Washington were on the same page, but then Adams and Jefferson were not. And Adams Jefferson pretty much took his toys home to Monticello and said, "I don't want to play anymore." I mean, it wasn't really a very effective, and that's the only historical model in America we have of that. Now, y'all could be right. I'm not saying you're not right. I just have no point of reference to say how it will work, except for the one time it happened, and they didn't work too well at all together. They may not have worked well together, but look at the outcome for the nation. I mean, you didn't you didn't have what you have now. Brent well, calls it a just the, the nation in general. Just wasn't the people weren't as polarized then as they are now. I mean, yeah. there was a but, more but of a commonality. Polarized but about. I'm saying, that, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. saying that this is this was the polarizing force because once you do that, control of the executive and legislative and I'm mean, essentially the legislative branch becomes an all or nothing game. You're either in control of the White House and the presidency of the Senate, or you're not. And so, and that that's where this system starts, where we go. We, it's got to be all out. We've got to take them out. They've got to go all the way down. They've yeah. got to go down hard. Well, I, because I think, if they hold on to any power whatsoever, we're just in the mud. Some of this can be solved, I think, if if our schools, particularly what I'm talking about, what we're talking about here in history and government, educated their kids better. Because I think that there's such a lack of a foundation there. They are easy to freak out, as we said earlier. They're easier to kind of get on that train of one side or the other. Whereas, like, if they had a balanced, long view of history and, and an understanding of the government process, they, they wouldn't have to freak out every time their guy or their girl lost. But the schools I mean, are a product of the political system, so, Mr. B. Oh, yeah. Hey, you're talking to somebody who wouldn't mind privatizing them, okay? I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty radical on that, you know? Um, and I know it's controversial to say that, but I'm, that's how I feel. I, I feel like and that's a whole other subject. But as it is, I, I do blame some of this stuff this chaos and polarization on the education system that it's either people are easy fodder to just, you know, speaking on the polarization, you told me last time we talked, you were talking about cancel culture yeah, and how you do not like it at all. My big, my greatest fear about for the country right now, I think I can say greatest. If, if if it's not the greatest, it's top two or three is I'm concerned about freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. I feel like if we lose that, we lose the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, that one to me has to be guarded more than anything. Because once you get to where you can't speak out openly, how can you defend yourself? Or how can you try to win converts to whatever your view is? I mean, you're just kind of, you know, you're out. <laughs> just recently, I, I don't know if you saw on the Ben Shapiro show, he took on the actress, um, I forget her last name, but her first name's Kara. Yeah. She works for Disney on the Mandalorian yeah. TV show, and yeah. he had a whole hour special with her. I haven't watched that one, but I know They're going to be working on some new projects. and Yeah. It was an example to me of someone, Carl was very middle ground, just a very normal, level-headed person who made a few slightly conservative remarks with memes, and Disney fired her, and the whole half of the nation turned on her. Well, I know it sounds, and I'm wary of this, I try not to sound this way, because it does sometimes, to some people, probably on the left especially, it probably sounds like conservatives, libertarians, they're pouting a lot. But I really do think if you start listing the institutions, they're all controlled by the left. And so if you control... Or at least the most vital ones. If you control, you know, uh, the education system, if you control entertainment, um, 
Oh, I wish I could. I've listed these off in my head before. I can't think of well, all. Well, really, right now. now with Silicon if, Valley, they yeah, they if even, you have big tech, exactly, you know, big tech and a lot of big finance. Um, a lot of the corporations are woke now. I mean, if you if you have all the power like that, it's it's easy for you to be the one that's doing the silencing, you know. And I don't think there's people who agree with them mind because they're not being silenced. Until they are, there have right. been a lot of prominent. You've got some liberals, Joe Rogan. Um, Who's the other guy? He's a comedian. Uh, Bill Maher. I, I don't always agree with them on everything, but I respect that they're, they understand well enough the consistencies of, of free speech to say, I don't agree with them, but don't just destroy their lives. Mm-hmm. Let people be stupid sometimes and say something dumb. That's Joe Rogan's whole thing with having people <laughs> yeah. in for hours at a time. Yeah. On Facebook, you know, the whole thing is we got to clean it up. We got to, you know, get out all the disinf- disinformation, you know. Um, man, I guess I have enough faith in people that, you know, let somebody just figure it out. Well, I, I don't, I don't let, 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 unless you're directly trying to harm or hurt, kill someone, let them put anything out there and we'll figure it out. Well, I mean, exactly. That's freedom of association. And I don't think President Obama knew what he'd said when he said words do matter. Because you think about it, we have to purge all of the disinformation. If you're AOC, for me to say capitalism is a better system than socialism, that's misinformation. That's something I've yeah. thought about when, when, uh, well, they, when you, it, it becomes like whoever's doing the uh, fact checking is, is subjective. It's, you know, exactly. Like a, a teacher could be with a, with a paper, you know. Well, just, see, that's my, that's my, the, that's yeah. me being torn on freedom of speech. There are a lot of times that I look at things people say and I go, you know what, that's just, that shouldn't have even been allowed. But I take a radical, literal interpretation of freedom of speech because I understand that I'm not worthy to hold the red pen that marks out what gets to be said and what doesn't get to be said. But the left seems to have gone beyond that. Well, let, it's let me, absolute power over. Let me correct one last thing I said, and then uh, use an example. Like, uh, use an example. Um, a bad, let's say, English teacher being subjective with a paper. A good one to me is there are some objective standards of English, and I apply that to the paper as I grade as a professional. You know, and so a lot of these fact checkers, I just wonder about their objectivity. Where do they come from? Who to to, to quote from a very popular uh, graphic novel. Who watches the Watchmen? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I thought when I saw that Facebook had yeah. instituted fact checking. Yeah. I was like, "Well, great! I have to fact check I, another person now." Yeah, I thought about the media that way. Who are they accountable to? Now, you could say, "Well, they're accountable to their viewers; they can lose viewership." But if you capture enough of an audience that you constantly feed and you nurture and grow them up into your little audience that you want, you can sort of well, just, exactly. We'll be fact checked by our viewers. Your viewers yeah. turn, tune in to hear a radical liberal perspective. They're yeah. not. They're not going to look into what you say and, as long as it's. And radical. I love. I'm okay with the, the freedom of a, a left leaning media or in a right leaning media, but don't try to shut either one of them down. You know, uh, I've complained about the left, but I hope that would do the same thing with the right. I, I, I'll give an example. Like there were a lot of people who did not like it when uh, Muslims wanted to build a welcome center. On the grounds of where 9/11 happened, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm not. I'm not a Muslim, um, and I realize that the terrorists who committed that act, you know, some say, well, they they did it for Allah. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I think it might be more of a nationalistic thing than it was a religious thing. They just happen to be Muslims. I'm not sure. That's debatable, I guess. But uh, what I'm saying though is, I realized that if if they if we suppress their they own the property. So if we tell them what they can do with their property, just exactly. because they happen to be Muslims, then 
hey, I'm just shooting myself in the foot one day when somebody tells me what I can do with my property as a Christian. That's what I've always thought. If <laughs> yeah. I want to be able to do whatever I want to yeah. do. So you are allowed to do that yeah. too. Yeah. And so I, I just want, and this cancel culture thing, I hate it because I just want them to leave people alone and let them be them. And if it hurts your feelings, unfriend them, you know, delete them and just go have other friends. I think that's just a product of the internet because now you see people you would never meet. You know, if you only lived in Mississippi your whole life, the con is that you'd only know Mississippians, but the pro would be that you only know Mississippians. So you're only, yeah. you're communicating with alike people. Yeah. So the ideas are all on the same wavelength. Yeah. And well, if, see, that, if that, idea sprites out of that, that's good. That know? goes back to what I've said about the importance of power to state governments and keeping federal government small because it's not very hard to forge political cohesion if you only deal with people from Mississippi. We're all dealing with more or less the same economic reality, more or less a common worldview. And you say, well, yeah, but aren't you in kind of a bubble? Yeah, but we're in a calm, unbroken bubble. And then slowly but surely as time goes on and, and trade and entertainment cause us to interact with people from New York, people from New Jersey, people from California, people from Texas, slowly the cultures naturally begin to feel their way towards each other and it's peaceful. Whereas if you have this no, there's going to be one culture that's going to dominate in Washington and that cultural that cultural worldview, pardon me, <clears throat> will be enforced as law all over the United States. That's when you rattle people's cages unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. That's what freedom of association is for, to allow gradual assim assimilation of each other's worldviews. And, and through that, you merge into a peaceful shared worldview instead of this we're going to go in with social policy and we're going yeah, to legislate worldviews. Freedom, freedom of speech and then let federalism work. You know, mm -hmm. people in Mississippi shouldn't try to make people in New York like them and people in New York shouldn't like me. You know, let let a little more of states be them, but keep our union together. I'm not, I'm not advocating anything like that, but, but, you know, I don't expect the people of California to think like we do, but don't try to just come here and change everything. That's where you get a lot of your, your fear and your unrest. That's that's a storm that's brewing in Texas, I feel like, right now, because you have that influx of people from California who are bailing out of California. And Florida, like they're crazy. coming to Florida, too. And Well, we've got a lot of them. I work at Home Depot, and we've got several people that just came on into our store in various capacities that are from California. Yeah. And they show up, and, and in Texas, they're, it's causing a massive shockwave because people from well, Texas are going, they wreck the lockdowns. Um, when I saw that we changed our state flag, not because the people wanted to, uh -huh. I mean, I think it should have been changed, but yeah. w the majority of people didn't. Mm -hmm. So the state government decided we're going to change the flag anyway, whether you like it or not, mm -hmm. to save face in the federal government where we live. Right. Be that's when I realized that we're, we're all truly connected now. Yeah. Because what we changed our face we, to adjust yeah. to the world. The Mississippi state flag changed because of something that happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. So we are all connected yeah. now. It's one giant state. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how do we stay friendly and have conversations with yeah. these people that have been living away from us for yeah. years. Well, that's where the instability comes but, but, from. We're trying to create unity where there actually yeah. isn't unity. Well, but in that case, you know, hey, at least... A legislature elected by the people of Mississippi who will be accountable to them the next time they run, you know, freely chose to go and change the flag. I'm not so much against that. If something in Minneapolis affected that, great. You know, that at least it's you, your, your elected officials chose it. They'll be accountable next time. But I don't like this sort of like, you know, I'll use the example, um, you know, when you try to come in and just like uh, Mississippi – at your schools, you are gonna have a transgender. Uh, you, you, you're gonna you're gonna allow transgender people just to go to whatever. But you know, you get in a very deep social uh, 
phobias that people have, you know. Uh, hey, and I love everybody. I'm just saying when you try to force that on somebody suddenly, like you've done this this whole way, this whole time in your state, and boom, now you have to do it like this in your schools. And culturally, you got, you know, something like a, I'll just pick a county randomly in Mississippi. Let's just take a, you know, um, Neshoba County, you know, but some – but 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 this is being legislated by people who have no connection to that county. Exactly. That you know, and your people who actually are local don't really want that. I don't know. I believe in keeping a lot of things very local. It's like with statues. You know, if that local community wants to remove that statue, let them. You know what? I was. I know Jack Andrew Jackson. You know he's a controversial figure. Mm-hmm. I still think he deserved a statue because he saved New Orleans, despite his flaws when it came to his relationship with Native Americans. I thought, well, for that act right there, I can see them honoring him. So when I pass that statue, no problem. I get it. But if the New Orleans city wants to remove it, I'm over here in Hattiesburg. You know, that's their deal. Let them do it. So I'm very much about letting things be local decisions and not just forcing on people. If it affects us like the deal in Minneapolis and we decide locally, great. But just trying to mandate something across the states, it just wrecks us, it seems like. That's like Jackson, Mississippi. They're taking down their statue, which is kind yeah. of ironic because I wonder what they're going to do with the name. Yeah, right. But um, the, <laughs> the, the, city, the town yeah. council, the city yeah. decided to do that. That yeah. was the city. So yeah. that's And fine. if that city wants to change their name or however that mm-hmm. process will work, you know, I'm, again... I don't have to agree. I just like the idea that it's at a local level. As long as it's still written yeah. in the history books. Yeah. As long as Andrew Jackson <laughs> but see, still that's exists. What, that's what scares right. me about this. What's next? Like, like if you're knocking down statues and changing the names of cities because it, it offends people, what's next? Is it going to be offensive to point out the fact that the man won a political election? Is it going to be uh, politically incorrect to call him President Jackson? Is it going to be politically incorrect to have any sort of a portrait or bust of him in any museum or any... Um, any school, college, because because of what he was. Yeah, I mean, that whole, in. we're kind of, that's a little bit different path there. And that whole deal about trying to go back and condemn everybody that ever did anything wrong and then wipe them out is, they're going to pay a price later on, 150 years from now, when the, that generation looks at them. We're all probably doing something that by whatever society's norms will be in 50 to 100 years is going to be like, how could Grandpa have done that? You know, I mean, I think I'm doing okay right now. But there's probably going to be, you know, 50, 100 years from now, people saying, well, should we take his name? You know, I imagine that all this farming we're doing, like massive industrial scales with all these poor animals, like we're going to be villainized for that yeah. because we decided yeah. that we're the, so important. The NBA had a big shoe deal with China. What? Mm-hmm. They had deals and made lots of profit also, off this. these microphones and all yeah. this are made in China. It's like they're made by wage slaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. we live off of slavery. So, we just moved it to China. I love that Ricky Gervais pointed that out during one of his opening monologues when he said, I don't yeah. want to hear any political ranting from any of you celebrities tonight. You talk about... Uh, taking care of impoverished children and then you make deals with Apple that use child slaves. Yeah. yeah. So let's just say you guys get a statue one day to your broadcasting legends and you get a statue. I mean, well, people will look back at you because your microphones were Chinese and say, well, Well, I I just think that's not, I think you have to, I think you have to have love and context for the past because they were working with different morals. Morals can change. You have to understand. Yeah. The moral norms of their day. You know, you can only, I've, I've always imagined that if you were born, like I'm was born in 1998. Yeah. I was raised, my formative years were from 1998 to maybe 2010, my most formative years. And then my high school years after that, it's like, I can only be expected 
to comprehend and understand so much of the world. And so working with the information I have, I've mm. got my morals, I've got my philosophies. Right. And you can't expect me to work with information I didn't have at this right. time. Exactly. They didn't have in that information. Right. Well, I mean, let's go even beyond that. And this is extremely hey. politically incorrect. But con <laughs> but consider, mightn't you have done the same thing? Andrew Jackson is evil. He was a racist. He did everything he could. He did this forced military removal of these Native Americans, drove them into the, the desert. After the Supreme Court ruled in at their Supreme favor. Court ruled. Okay. You're the president of the United States, and you look at that map, and you've got just that, that slice up in the northeast, and you're looking at a country full of people that needs to grow, it needs economic growth, it needs room to grow, and you're looking and you see that Native Americans have control of, it, with the exception of what the Spanish and the French have seized control of, all the rest of that map. Mightn't you have said, look, it might be murderous, and it might be illegal, but I need that dirt for Americans. The Indians have to go. I mean, it, it's not that I would I champion the same thing. I'm saying maybe even beyond they were working with different morals, they were working with different circumstances. And I don't think there's any denying that circumstances influence your morals. It's wrong to kill until someone well, breaks into your house to murder your family and you shoot them. Two points on this. One, I think, is very arrogant. And you're lifting your generation up as the best ever thing mm -hmm. that you get to sit in judgment of every other generation when your generation is flawed too um that's one thing that troubles me about it and um and another thing there, there's the, other, the second thing is you can't find a person in history who won't be controversial to somebody i mean as a christian you know our big guy is jesus christ he's controversial to the muslims he's controversial to the the atheists i mean he, he's he, controversial to jewish people in a way yeah he claimed to be the Messiah. exactly so you know He's one of everybody that's ever lived is going to be controversial to somebody if you dig hard enough. I mean, so that's just, it's ridiculous to me. And, and, and what's also discouraging is the ones I see that's doing the most uh, actual going out and illegally tearing the stuff down that we're doing it. I think it stops now, but um, I don't think they understood history anyway. Mm -hmm. you know? and, when you're, and, and when you're saying we're going to take Lincoln's name off of a school, what did Lincoln, I mean, He's the guy who signed the Emancipation Proclamation. I mean, some people argue whether that was political necessity or from his heart, but either way, the action was good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so um, take what you can get. When you're sometimes. even going after Lincoln, I mean, I mean, Washington, the father of our country, the original Captain America, I call him. I mean, yeah, he had slaves. Maybe that that is, that is something we'll talk about and we'll say that was bad. Okay, that was wrong, and here's why it was wrong. But does that negate all the tremendous good stuff? And we could have a pie chart of Washington, what was great that he did for his country, what was a fault, faults he had. I think the pie chart was so overwhelmingly he was a hero. He was a great guy. But let's rip him down because of that one thing that in his time was so different than our time. Well, I mean, I don't but, even think I don't even think it I've thought a lot about that because when like late high school, early college, when the left really surged on, I took a moment to sit back. And I thought about it, and I thought about white privilege, and I thought about history, and kind of, it's true, white people enslave black people in this country. Do mm -hmm. do I have some measure of responsibility? Do, do I have some comeuppance that I need to take? It, it, is there some points where I just need to sit back as distasteful as it may be and take what the left is? I really thought about this, and I thought a lot about slavery, and I wondered If you were if you were in that environment, 
would you have really come out any different when you grow up in your house and there are these people and they're called slaves and their skin's a different color than yours. And they're the people who raised you. Their children were your playmates. Uh, you, you went, you worship the same God. We're part of pro- maybe even the same church at certain points. It, would it occur to you to be as appalled at the concept of slavery as we are now? So, and if the no, role- you, we're, we're, we're more educated and conditioned to see it as immoral. Exactly. I mean, people are people in some ways, no matter what period of time you're in, you know, and a lot of people probably did just live life. And that was sort of like, Either they didn't think much about it, or if they did, uh, a necessary evil, and they moved on. Hearts better than what they had, you know. I think we they probably think about it as much as we think about those Chinese wage slaves. Uh, yeah. Do you yeah. really think about them especially deeply when you fall asleep at night? Especially if you're not even around it. I mean, there, there's a misconception that maybe a state like Mississippi, everybody has slaves. No, most people didn't. There are people down in the Piney Woods area, the, the Pine Belt where we're at, that maybe never even really saw much of that at all or any of it. You just kind of knew your Delta planners had it or whatever. And yeah, it was easy to live life, especially back then when you have very little communication. Just live life. Know what's out there. Know what's not the greatest maybe, but it's, you know, it's what we're doing. You know, I'm not going to stir the pot. I'm doing what I can in life. I'm, I'm taking care of my family and feeding them and move on. Like a lot of people, like you said today, you know. So yeah, I, well, I mean, I mean, black people were freed in the South after the Civil War and, and a lot of them ran north to the cities thinking they would find, oh, well, the Union freed us. Surely we'll find a place where we won't be ostracized, where we'll be treated as human beings. And what did they find when they got there? Segregated lunch counters, segregated labor unions, segregated parts of the city, segregated apartment buildings, a segregated Pentagon, a se- segregated government offices. So if the idea is that the core of the rod of racism was in the South and the Civil War just broke the South and broke the rod and now it's all fixed, no. And in many cases... The, mo- the largest and most active chapters of the Ku Klux Klan were in New York and Los Angeles. Like, get over yourselves. There's blood on your hands. Well, right. Too. I mean, you know, you, you, you study closely enough the Civil War. The more you study it, the more you'll find all kind of interesting angles to take on it. And, all. and the thing is, in the beginning, it was mostly Lincoln wanted to preserve the Union. Mm-hmm. As the war progressed, it evolved into a moral cause to, to end slavery. Because a lot of people in the Union were just kind of like, some of them were like, let the South go. <laughs> I mean, let them do their thing if they want to. And Lincoln was kind of like, well, we let them go. Then then what if then this state wants to leave in that state? We won't have a union anymore. We'll be 50 countries. Well, how many states they had then? Well, I mean, beyond. We'll be it. this many countries like Europe instead of United, a union. But this is probably the last topic I'll get, I'll get to spend some time on today. But um, I'd say out of all the topics that I could talk about, we were talking about this the other day on my classes. I said, what is the most awkward topic probably for you to take on when you're talking publicly about, you know, deep issues and i think for me it's race Mm -hmm. i feel like it's such a minefield i'm afraid if i say one thing that sounds like it's wrong i'm done i'm canceled yeah you know i'm I'm having to make this big tearful apology and explain myself and i've maybe turned a lot of people against me that i care about um but but then again we have to talk about it because it's right there in front of us you know and uh and a couple of things i've been thinking about i know when the blm movement was big you know, and I even had some former students who were loving a part of that. They were, there was some stuff that went on a pedal that they were, they were protesting against about that mayor that definitely said some things he shouldn't have said. And I encouraged them. Yes. I mean, you know, go out and speak, you know, but at the same time, what I hated was sort of the expectation of embracing BLM. What if I'm not racist? 
but I don't want to be a part of BLM either. <laughs> I've watched everything very intently from afar. <laughs> yeah. I haven't said a word. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just watched. I and mean, listen. I know by all the actions, you know, I may be doing something in ignorance, but by all my things I understand, I've not ever been racist to someone as far as me whiffling, knowingly being racist. I was raised not to be. I haven't been, you know. Um, but I also maybe don't like some of the political aims of BLM. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, not a fan of the group. So, you know, can I, can I not like the group, but not be racist at the same time? There's almost like some people want to say, if you don't like the group, you, you must be, you know, racist or something in that arena. <laughs> you know, so uh, problematic. And and, I, and and in the race conversation, what disturbs me the most is, and why I feel like it's just going to go on and on and rip us up more and more. Uh, one, it's a political tool for both sides. It's a wedge issue for both sides, the, the right and the left. Um, and then two, and this scares me the most, we can't even agree on the terms. We can't even agree on what systemic racism is or white privilege is or white fragility is. We can't, if, if you, and you all know from debate class, if you can't agree on your common terms you're even arguing about, it will never end. You know, because for me, from my perspective, white supremacy is, you know, guys with white hoods and all that stuff MLK and Rosa Parks were fighting against, but now institutional racism is illegal and everybody had ought to have the same opportunity to go to the same school or work the same job or be all they can be. Um, but for some, it's no, there's more going on than that. Well, it kind of continues on. And yeah. so, you know, that lots of people will claim that power structures themselves yeah. Yeah. are tyrannical and racist and genderist and everything because there's power over another person. Right. I mean, there are arguments on the other side and smart people making those arguments. So I'm not trying to discount all of them. I'm just saying that smart people on both sides are debating this, but they can't even agree on the terms. So it never ends. We got to let Mr. We got to let Mr. B go. So let, let me throw this one last thing out. We aren't going to comment on it. I just want to hear Mr. Brooms opinion on this. Do you, do you think there is any, do you see any opportunity for this to come to an end and, not necessarily we end up better than before, but that we reach some kind of state of stability? Or do you think this is the end of the American experiment and what we're proving is it can't be done? Okay. You got you may have to narrow that down for me a little bit. The end of the American experiment. Do, do you think that what we're seeing now is proof that the constitutional republic as a model uh-huh. is, is flawed and unsustainable over time? Yeah, I, I've thought about this. If you look at history, it seems like there's a cycle sort of, th- of things sometimes, you know. To where you've got uh, an autocrat, you know, or oligarchy or something, some power that just oppresses people. The people cry out for liberty. They revolt against that. They set up something that's a little more democratic, but then it becomes too democratic and people sort of vote themselves out of existence or into anarchy. And then they need a strong leader to restore order. And then they get the order again. But then the strong leader becomes tyrannical over time. And then they rebel against that one. You see what I'm saying? I've wondered, are we sort of in a cycle and we're in that part of the cycle where where we're at now is um, the anarchy is coming, which will then lead to us turning to the strong man. You know, that that's kind of what I, I have a fear of. I don't think it has to be that way. I think there's still enough here. If people step up and make the right arguments and, and are smart about it, maybe we could avert that. But it seems to be the direction we're heading if we don't, you know, Get in the way. <laughs> that's the that's the whole reason I want to do a podcast. Yeah, is so I can have people have find someone who's the opposite of you, and then yeah. sit down and have them talk, just like how we just talked. Yeah, yeah. And enough people do that with enough people, and if enough people hear that, it'll change the way they yeah. communicate. Yeah, we we've got to, to to survive from this anarchy that I'm thinking could could be the next step. Um, 
we, we, we got to get to a point where it's not, if you disagree with me, you're a bad person. If we have a different perspective, you're evil. You know, I mean, I remember, I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember when our politics wasn't quite like it is now to where, you know, these two senators don't agree, but they can still get along at the end of the day. And they understand you're coming from the right, I'm coming from the left. We still both love the country. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one thing that was lost, I think about that World War II generation and the leaders that came out of that. I think they shared this common bond of they fought fascism, you know, overseas. They fought Imperial Japan. And then they took on the Cold War together. And so although they had differences domestically, they were, they were kind of bound together by the struggle of, you know, America versus the Soviet Union and communism, you know. Well, you take that ending in the ni- early 90s, 1991, um, Bill Clinton comes in, and I can see the progression. You look at the administrations of Clinton through now Biden, and we've just sort of started to eat one another up. We don't have that common enemy sort of that binds us together to say, yeah, we're Republicans and Democrats, but we, we got to keep the country. We saw a little glimpse of that after 9-11. For a few weeks, we saw the country kind of like lay down its, you know, attacks and just, you know, sing God bless America. Let's get this situation fixed. We love you, New York. You know, it went away pretty quick. But uh, I, 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 I just I just feel like that's some, some of the thing is we – we don't have a common cause that we can all get behind whether you're right and left anymore. So we start to eat one another up. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share and give us a good review. You can email us at lastconversationpodcast at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page or follow us on Instagram at lastconversationpodcast. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, with love, Brendan Mitchell.